The number three in supreme mathematics is understanding. The significance behind um, understanding is when you use the knowledge that you have and the wisdom that you obtain through the knowledge that you have, then you will find the right understanding, the proper understanding. So, you know, through knowledge, which you manifest into wisdom, then you bring forth understanding after you acquire the knowledge. You use your wisdom. So it's like the system is one, two, and it equals three. And understanding represents the child, which is um, the byproduct of knowledge and wisdom, which is the man and the woman. So when a man and a woman bring forth the proper understanding, which is love, which is the child. So that's the significance in understanding, as in the universe, the sun, moon, and stars. My grandfather had six children, but there's rumors of other children, but I never met them, you know. I only know of my mother, um, Christine, my aunt, Gil, my other uncle, Clarence, my uncle, Perry, and then my grandfather's two oldest sons, my other uncle, um, his name was Clarence too, and then my uncle Otis. So, all together, it was six of them. It was four boys and two girls. Supposedly, there's another, another son. So I might have another uncle. Then supposedly he had a kid in Korea. So I probably got a cousin in Korea. So you know, like I have no idea. You know, my grandfather's children took his death real hard. I mean, it was a traumatic experience for them, you know, just without saying. I can imagine the um, the terror that they felt, you know, the fear. It's, a, it's like an emptiness when you lose a parent, you know. It's like a hole that, you know, you really, you really can't fill that void, you know, because your parents are your, you know, your first teachers, your first uh, guidance counselors, your first therapist, you know. It's like it's your parents, so... I can imagine it was hard for them, you know, just having to realize that, you know, their father was gone. And it was a lot going on at that time, just in New York City. So it probably was extremely traumatic for them. To me, it made them vulnerable to a lot of things. Coming out of that time frame, you know, it was a lot of consciousness going on within, like, the black community. And um, a lot of leaders were, like, eliminated just in that mind frame knowing that you know you had people that was trying to make some social changes you know some economic changes or just a overall better treatment for their people and they was ultimately you know eliminated for it so you know I can imagine that they probably felt a need to carry on but maybe not carry on that particular direction, you know, or for that particular cause. You know, when you lose your immediate family member, you tend to feel like, you know, they gave themselves up for other people that they didn't know. I think that affected them in a way to where they went on about their normal lives and tried to put that part of their life behind them. Like, they didn't just not acknowledge it, but they kind of wanted to move on from it because it's painful i think that was a part of them dealing with that pain just carrying on with their life and not having 
too much to do with, you know, the nation of gods and earths or like, you know, the nation of Islam. Not in the sense the way like they disnounced the, the teachings. You know, my grandmother and my great grandmother and my mother and them studied the lessons frivolously, you know, like they made me study the lessons. So, you know, they passed on the knowledge. But as of actively participating, I think they kind of stayed out of sight, you know. I know that my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and my mother, they was all members of the Nation of Islam. So, you know, I know that door was always open to them, you know, especially with dealing with death and, you know, just the grieve, the grieving part. I know they, they door was probably always open to my grandmother and my mother and, you know, my family. And, um... As far as the um, the nation of gods and earths, my you know like my grandmother and my mother and them didn't really deal with them on a personal one on one basis. Like my grandmother knew some of the gods, like she knew them because they was my grandfather's students or acquaintances or friends or whatever. So she knew some of them, but active day to day involvement, she didn't have no involvement in that. The nation of gods and earths was my grandfather's seed alone you know like my grandmother is still to her dying day a member of the nation of islam like and my great-grandmother the five percent nation was something my grandfather did so they didn't really feel you know they didn't feel a need to involve themselves in that that's something clarence was doing my mother didn't want us involved directly in the nation because she didn't want us to be targeted by either the government or even people in the nation that could be jealous you know thinking that you're trying to rise to some type of prominence or you know you're going in a different direction than whatever direction they've been going in the last 30 40 years so i guess my mother was like you know what um i lost my father i'm not losing my children she just knew the bullseye would be on our backs if we came out into that arena as far as picking up the torch where my grandfather left off. Not shunning the nation, but she felt the need to protect her sons. Because she felt that, you know, if we would have stepped into that arena, whether it was, uh, you know, just social work in the neighborhood or political work in the community, that we have a target on our back. And it's weird because it's like I always had a target on my back. Like any interaction I had with the police, they were always like, Give me a, a, a pedigree or interview for something that's minor that a, another person would get probably like a desk appearance ticket. You know, I get drugged into the precinct and ask 99 questions because they looking at my family history. You know, they're looking 30, 40 years b before I was even born. So it's like, you know, my mother and my grandmother, they already knew what type of environment it was to live in that environment. You know, my grandmother was friends with um, Betty Shabazz. So, you know, my grandmother knew exactly what Betty was going through firsthand, then turn around, she went through it. In the end, they are obligated to protect their children. You know, you can't, you can't protect your husband, he's deceased. All you can do now is protect your children. You know, you gotta hold on to the little bit of your family that you have left, you know, after they take the father out of the equation. That's a big void. They chose to just not be in that limelight to protect their children more so than to carry on because the nation carried on you know the lessons the teachings carry on with within itself by itself 
you know, because each one teach one. So if I teach two people, they teach four, what's going to happen? It's just going to multiply. So it was no need for her to be, like, hands-on or physically involved, you know, so. I ain't affect my upbringing none. I had the lessons in my house. The same lessons that they all got a copy of came out of my house. So how was I? It didn't affect me in no way. You know, the knowledge that I have is for to save my life, to help me guide my life. It's not it's it's not like an American Express card. Like, yeah, I'm a five percenter and I want to take advantage. I, I never looked at it like that. You know, my grandmother and my mother never taught it to me that way. You know, they never they never taught me the lessons and say, all right, now go out here and be your grandfather and this, that, and the third. They never did that. They taught me lessons so I could conduct my life in a civilized manner as a black man, knowing that there's pitfalls and there's traps in society designed to inflict that type of, you know what I'm saying, terror and pain for black people. So with the knowledge that I do have, I could avoid some of those trappings, you know, like I'm just fully aware of myself and my capabilities and what's going on around me at all times. I think more so that they wanted us to have the knowledge. They didn't want us to be involved in the politics as far as, you know, that type of entity. He reached out to the younger demographic because the babies become the adults in the future. So who would you rather teach? You're going to teach adults or you're going to teach the babies? The adults is going to die. They're either going to go in the old folks' home or they're going to die. Physically, physically, you know, your life cycle comes to an end. So if you want to change a way a person's thinking or a group of people, you want to change the culture that they're living in, you got to teach the babies because they're the ones that's going to become the adults and then they're going to become the teachers. So if you teach the babies, you're instilling the prospects of the future. I can't be selfish with the information. I got to give it to as many babies that I possibly can. And them babies is going to teach and the babies from them babies is going to teach. And, you know, that's how that's passed along. I guess he felt like if I could reach the youth, then it might bridge the gap and the divide between the older people and the younger people. Especially when you have someone that's involved with them in a father-like manner. Like, he wasn't telling them to do this or do that. He was telling them the importance of what they need to do and what they need not to do. You know, and that's what a father does. A father guides you. He gives you that guidance. He gives you that confidence and he gives you that knowledge and wisdom. The role, the role he played was very important to the youth of New York City at that time, you know, because nobody wanted to do it. Nobody was going to do it, you know. Either you was going to get pimped, hustled, or played, you know. And he knew all the players, he knew all the pimps, he knew all the hustlers, like he knew everybody. So when, when you in that arena and you figure out your purpose for what you need to do, he he figured the babies needed him more than these grown people. These grown people, they got their agenda. They know what they're going to do. But these babies is lost. I got to help these children. If I can help these children find their way, then they're going to raise their children to find their way. And it passes on. So, yeah, his work was 
was with the children. That was his calling. Um, being that, you know, my grandfather was a street, like, he was a street dude. You know, like, he hung out with the hustlers, the pimps. You know, he lived in the, the projects. He lived in the neighborhood. So, you know, these are people he walked past every day. When he had um, migrated to New York from the South, he was in the street a lot. When you're in that environment, you know, you tend to thrive or, you know, you just get a, a, a kinship for the streets. You know, like I'm his grandson and I inherit that, you know, that same type of kinship for the streets. You know, whether it's uh, the person selling flowers or the Piagua man, you know, or the, um, the, the lady that collect the bottles or, you know, like the people that wash cars. Like I know, I know everybody in the city. It don't matter who you are. You know, you could be a big time basketball player or, or rap artist or you could be just the guy that cut mangoes and, you know, sell your little mangoes on the side. You know, that's just a part of New York City. You know, when you're in the street in the nightlife, you're going to know everybody. I think he gravitated more towards the streets and the youth because those were the ones that really needed the attention. I guess that he seen it. The Nation of Islam was more, you know, it was, it was more of a polished type of, you know what I'm saying, like community as far as, you know, you had doctors, lawyers, you know, professionals, you know, college-educated people that was in the Nation of Islam, as well as blue-collar workers, you know, people that worked in the factories, they, were, they worked at the, you know, the local schools, they drove the buses, you know, so they, um, their makeup, you know, the body of their congregation is diverse, you know, and there's a lot of different people from a lot of walks of life. They took in a lot of ex-cons too, you know, a lot of people that got out of prison and wanted to rehabilitate themselves, you know, and better themselves. I guess my grandfather looked at it like, my grandmother told me this, he said that, you know, you can't teach an old dog a new trick in the sense that, you know, if you really want to see change in the future, you got to aim for the youth, you know, you got to aim for the babies that are being misled, that are being uh, mistreated, that are being um, neglected, you know, in, in a sense of there's no community responsibility to raise these children. If a child is born to a drug-addicted mother, you know, an absentee father, then the community pretty much got to deal with that child. So my grandfather looked at it like, let me address the babies. Let me get the babies' attention and let me teach them how to be more self-sufficient and, you know, just know they self. Know who you are, learn yourself, and then empower yourself with the tools. So I think that's what, like, drew him to leaving the nation. And then it was, you know, it was the actual lessons and um, just his interpretations of the lessons. He felt that, you know, it was it was some contradiction with the, with the nation and what they taught and what you can manifest. You know, if you tell me, um, if you tell me I'm God, but then when I'm outside in the public, you say, nah, you can't say that. But in closed doors, you telling me that the black man is God, I should be able to yell that to the, to the mountaintops. So that's how my grandfather interpret that, you know. It's not a, it's not a, uh, um, like a, it's not a secluded thing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an open realization. It's supposed to be something that's supposed to be acknowledged 
and upfront. It's not supposed to be concealed in no secrecy. I guess that's maybe, you know, maybe an aspect that he looked at, like, you know what? I want to have an effect on the forgotten, the kids that get drove past on your way to work, you know? Or, you know, when you see the police harassing the little kids and they locking them up, throw them in the car, I think that's what drove him to go to the streets. I, I have my son, and I'm going to let him mature a little bit more before I pass him the lessons. Because, you know, his mother's side of the family, well, actually, his grandmother on his mother's side was a five percenter. She told me this herself. She used to be a five percenter in her younger days. So he kind of know and feel it from both sides of the family, but he know it more so from me. At the age he is right now, I think he still need a few more years to just mature, you know, mentally, like him just learning and his mental capacity growing before, you know, he start reading material of that level. Right now, he's still, he's a, he's not, he's a preteen. So, like, when he becomes a teenager, then I think the reality and the gravity of the, of the lessons and what the meanings are, he will fully understand better than right now. Because, you know, he's at an age right now, he could be, like, overwhelmed by the lessons. And I don't want that for him, you know. I still want him to have a childhood. But I don't believe in fairy tales, you know. I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't celebrate pagan holidays. I don't um, idol worship. I don't really do none of that. I'm more of a birthday, uh, anniversary type of person.